We've been married now for uh, 56 years and have lived in, on the property at Carter's Beach for all of that time. It wasn't till uh, after that that we started digging into the history and we did know that um, Lothal's uh, grandparents bought it in 1911 and raised their family there. And Market Garden, the property had formerly belonged to George Carter, George and Anne Carter. And Carter was a bit of a uh, an entrepreneur. He um, was initially, uh, the first record of him is as a hotelier at Charleston. And as we know, most of the hotels were virtually just tents and lean-tos and things like that. And I don't know what he had there, but he saw an opportunity further um, up the coast and his original plot had a bit of grazing at Charleston. He leased another spot at Cape Fowlin, just as you get up off the beach, bearing in mind that with the, the place heavily forested, there were very few natural grazing spots. He had the property, uh, the 20-acre property, which we're living on part of. He also had a, a plot at Packers Point. I have a, a newspaper ad here that has him offering to prosecute uh, anyone driving stock and allowing them to graze on his property without permission along the way. So um, he was charging grazing rights uh, for that. He was also on record, I have a newspaper ad there, of him uh, advertising uh, fruit trees and exotic shrubs, and he had a nursery on the property. I think he had built the beginnings of the two big glass houses that were once on the property. We have some photos of the Ferguson family building one of the glass houses, and uh, they mark a garden there, and they were quite big, growing tomatoes. We're nowhere near that productive on the land today. <laughs> We've earned our living uh, elsewhere. <laughs> um, but it's um, an interesting 20 acres, which we have the remaining two acres of. And if you can gather in the a little bit of what used to be the main road at one stage, our McIntyre Road, which was right opposite the sidings that the harbour were built when they built the, the railway. And it was called Carter's Junction in the earlier days. Carters lived there. That was the junction where the rails split. And if you're thinking about roads, that was the beach. And there were no roads. Now, the remaining monument to um, Carters' enterprise would be the, the big macrocarpa tree that is, well, two, actually, one at either end of McIntyre Road uh, that would be part of George Carter's plantings. The rest have been cut, um, the ones in front of our property and uh, the next door property have been cut long ago, but it's a magnificent tree. There would be others in the, uh, in the district, quite possibly some of the, the big old trees that still exist at Martin's on the trail. So we've raised our, our three sons there and extended families now go into the great-grandchildren and they've all come to um, know of our place as a home, even though they've been living in different countries around the world. So we've tried to give them that grassroots feeling. And although they've been, some of them have been nomads, they've <laughs> cut a feature's home. Getting on to the Pu'ai section of the, um, uh, of the trail, that encompasses most of the backyard they grew up in. I used to white bait on the loopy corner next to the, to the bridge there at one stage in Martins Creek when we could do that, and one or two other spots um, further up. Um, they spent a lot of time in the, in the creek further up, um, Runnings Road, and they were hardly ever home, of course, in the, the good weather and in the holidays.
They would have loved to have the access that the trail now provides to that area because it was a, a bit of a hike through the scrub and uh, or through the estuary, through the creek. We've set nets in the estuary for years for flounder and herring and what have you. It's just been a lovely place to raise a family. Two of the boys have been home and have high praise for the work that's been done on the trail. They've been watching it on Facebook pages and, and commenting and they just think it's wonderful, the promotional work that you've been doing. So two of them have been home at various times uh, since and uh, have ridden the trail with their wives and um, they're just in raptures about it. The thing that Lethal and I um, enjoy so much about it and being sighted where we are on McIntyre Road is that we, we have so many options depending on how fit we feel in the morning. We have e-bikes now, which just makes it easier. And we can opt to go to um, go down the tip head and come back around. Lathal just loves hooning through the Golf Links Trail. Uh, so we do generally do that twice. We might go across the frontage and come up through there and go to Packers Point, sit down. Sometimes we'll take a coffee and then we'll um, come back down, hoon through the Golf Links bit again and, and uh, across the front go down to the end of Valley Drive or further afield. And I think we, we were right up to where progress was just before they built the little bridge heading towards Bulls Road. So we've been keeping a close eye on, on proceedings. We went out to Charleston just a week or so ago and checked out the new bridge and what's happening with the trail getting up to Charleston itself. So we're holding our breath for that one to be finished and the links to be made and so that we can progress further afield if we've got uh, any stamina left. <laughs> that so over to you. <laughs> you are going to speak about the fruit trees, but I'm going to jump to modern time when we're in COVID lockdown, the chap that lived next to me was a Vietnam, is a Vietnam vet, and I thought out of courtesy I'd go out at 6 o'clock in the morning and stand beside the gate with him, and I thought, God, there's not many people out here. And next thing I heard, Amazing Grace on the bagpipes, and that must have been Pole Smith round the corner. Yeah, okay. What did you do that morning? I played the last post as... I do every Anzac Day morning, at um, usually at Seddonville. I take a, a service at Seddonville. I have done now for about 11, 12 years. COVID, of course, suspended everything, and, um, and we did it at the gate. I then joined the, the brass band for 66 years, and I started my banding at Granity, and we used to do dawn parade there. And then we did a 10 o'clock service at Seddonville, and then quite often, my teenage days, I'd jump on the motorbike and come in, and because Westport wanted me to play with them, so played with the Westport band at the one o'clock service. And then the RSA and the after match, which sometimes proved a bit strenuous. But these days, Westport band, as you know, does dawn parade at Granity. I do dawn parade at Seddonville, and then I join them at Waimangaroa for the service there, and then come to Westport service, yeah. It was so, very haunting the other morning when so still it was, and this would be back a year. I think everybody in Carter's Beach would have heard you playing the last post yeah. easily. Well, it's nice that people appreciated it, obviously, and I have had a lot of them say so. It's just something that is nice to be able to do, and you know, it's like the old fire horse, you can't get out of the habit. <laughs> what were you wearing when you were playing the last post the other morning? It's traditional to wear band uniform, my service robe, wear band uniform, my service robe. That's just part of the deal. 
That's what I would normally do if I was going to the parade. I did go in later on and into town. The RSA executive wanted to place their poppies at the memorial, and I went in later in the day and played the last post, even though we were supposed to be in lockdown. Starting on Carter's Beach, you were involved. You're in Lathal with the hall and the start of the hall and everything there. Yes, domain. because I worked with Harry Williams at, at Fears, as you know. People before. won't know what Fears you got at. <laughs> the big drapery store yeah. that was opposite the post office on the corner. I started work there in 1958, and that was before I knew Lathal, of course, and that's where I met Lathal. But um, Harry Williams was on the hall committee at that time, raising money for the build. He wrote me in, of course, to help with various things. I used to teach judo at the Grandy Judo Club and we used to do judo demonstrations at the, at the Galas as well. I used to be involved in that. Because I talked too much, I usually got the job of uh, announcing what was going on. <laughs> so later on, I did have some time with the hall committee, help where I could. Being a carpet layer, I was involved in doing the floor coverings in the build. If you said you were the comments man at the galas, they had some interesting things there. We've already spoken about the Brunnings shooting the balloons, that archer that used to live over the back of your place. Oh, yes, uh, Jack Brunning. Well, what other things did you have at the gala tug of war? Galas used to be quite a big thing in those days. All the schools had an annual gala, didn't they? Remember your North School galas? And usually on those occasions I was playing with the band. The band used to play at all of those events as well. So stalls of every description were part of the Carters Beach gala scene. It was very well organised, very good committees and hard-working people. Whatever they could set up, you know, knocking things over by throwing uh, bags of <laughs> wooden balls or bags of beans or something like that and trying to get them through certain holes and whatever. They, they made games out of everything and managed to, to get a little revenue from each. And that's how the, um, the hall came into being. It was a very supportive community back then. Yeah, it wasn't hard. I can remember when I come onto the domain board about 40 years ago, everybody got out and helped. You yes, didn't get did. turned down by anybody. Yeah. Some of the stuff was a little bit shoddy. I know I used to speak to the electrical engineer from the works and mm. he would run house cable underneath the ground and into different stalls and the air I had to do with it. But I remember running a coconut shy, and coconuts cost a fortune. <laughs> I jammed those coconuts that hard in those wire rings. The kids were breaking them before they got them out. Yeah. You couldn't afford to give any away. You wouldn't yeah. have made any money. Well, but, we did a lot of fundraising on, the, on Palmerston Street, of course, too. The band used to run what they called Fun Day. The business has come out on the footpath. It used to be a market day. I used to run the children's games and knock myself out. They usually had a theme. I was the white rabbit, I was a circus barker, I was a clown at various times, all sorts. Just like you uh, do for a lot of events these days, you put yourself out there and do what you can. You would be the biggest contributor, biggest contributor to, that, to that degree, I would say, in the district present moment. Oh, we're supposed to be talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember being given a merry-go-round, yep. and the county council was invoked in, and... Max Ellie says, every time you put that up, it's going to cost, I think, $10 for a licence. And I argued with him. I says, you haven't got an engineer that can check that out. <laughs> and so it got worse. And you just might remember your kids could have played on it. Yeah. I used to put it up at Carter's Beach. Yep. And the kids would come home from school and just climb on it and switch it on. And when they were six, they'd switch it off. It yeah. was up there for months. Yeah. 
It was gifted to the domain board. I don't think we made a lot of money. If the Plunkett wanted it, they got it for nothing. If the schools wanted it, they got it for nothing. We've had some run-ins with councils and odds and ends. I really can't understand why, because, um, you know, what you've done out there and all, yeah. all the older guys over the years has just been priceless. Oh, we've had great help. The other thing was the white baiting. Geet Alexander told me one day he's seen the Fergusons, which you're hooked up with, 15 or 13 kerosene tins. Now, a kerosene tin holds 40 pounds pound yeah. of white bait. Yeah. 13 or 15 of those. Geet had never seen that much white I've bait. only managed to fill four in one go, but that was pretty epic. <laughs> Lathal's father... Foster. The Fergusons were right into white baiting, of course, from, well, way back Depression days. They, they virtually lived off the land there at Carter's and a big family as well. And they went from one season to the other, the duck shooting, white baiting, fishing summer months and supplementing their livelihood. White baiting was very important to them, and it was to Lathal's father, Foster, when he was raising his family. He was never on really big wages, and so white bait season paid his taxes and a bit of his rates. That was an important part of the income as well as providing for a better Christmas for the family. It was so with a lot of families in the, in the district. I used to white bait in the Wakanui when, when I was young in the Nokawa because I grew up at Granity. He took me out there much to, you remember Ted and Bert, of course, who virtually owned the place down the front. Yeah, they didn't like Foster from bringing his sons-in-laws out there to compete for their fuzzies. Foster and I did a lot of fishing shooting together, as I did with the brothers-in-law too. When they extended the, the breakwaters, we were fishing behind the breaker line, of course. And that was the surf in the line. 60, yeah, somewhere um, in there? Yeah, 67. We would catch the white bait embryo in our nets. Back, we were virtually fishing in the sea on the end of the breakwater. This jelly sort of mass in your, in your net and with a, a bit like a tadpole um, embryo. Got a little eyes and a tail sticking out of it. And we could see the shoals of white bait just getting ready on the current line to be able to breast the tide as the river flow as the tide came in. The catches were quite big down there then, but of course the bar has, and the beach has shoaled up. It's different. So different, <laughs> yeah. Another question, and this is one I haven't had an answer to, when you talked about the Fergusons, out from the Phantom's house, there's this two slabs of concrete. The cricket wickets, who put those in? How long have they been there? Well, they've been there as long as I can remember. Whoever was... Uh, Ferguson's put them there? No, no, oh. they wouldn't have done that. No. Carter's Beach, particularly in the 50s, became the mecca for, or late 40s, 50s, for the more affluent people in town who could afford to have a batch by the sea. And that transition from Carter's Junction, as it was called before that, to Carter's Beach sort of came as part of that. Of course, back in Carter's day, the, the beach line would have been Cook Street anyway. The beach was quite close. But they, the cricket wickets were, were sort of put in around about that time, some of the people that had batches there. And they still exist today. Yeah. I spoke to Trevor Craddock the other day, and you said the affluent people. Bill Craddock, who later went on to be the mayor of Westport, he built the house there, and Trevor, yep. in your age bracket, can remember the sea being just across the road and his dad built the house on piles that would be in our day a metre and a half the house is still there, they'd be a metre yep. and a half high wouldn't they? Yep. And he speaks about the house he was brought up there Yes I can remember the beach being quite close and Lathalwood too of course she tells me her father when it was even closer used to be able to stand on the letterbox at the gate and throw a stone in the sea when it was not too far away from Cook Street <laughs> Virtually. That, that would be a bit of a long, long shot. We'll jump to the shop because we've done nothing with the shop. 
All right. It used to be like a Mardi Gras, didn't it? Well, yes, Lothal can tell you <laughs> lots about the shop. <laughs> well, it was just a single building, really. It was rounded like the Art Deco conch rough cast, like the Art Deco style, it just around. And Baldies had it from as long as I can remember. Mum and Dad were going to buy it at one stage when we were children, mm. but Mum wasn't very adventurous and she wouldn't agree to it, and I think. That might have been when Baldies went into it. Yeah, Sir Johnson owned it before then, a guy by the name of Johnson. Yeah, yeah, and it was Baldies who built it up there, and then they built a piece, you'd remember, Jeff, one end onto it, and it became a much bigger grocer shop. But they built that on, and you could then get milkshakes and ice cream sundaes and have afternoon tea Mm -hmm. and things, but they didn't really have a lot of tables. It stayed like that for years and years and years. So it was just a local grocery shop. We didn't go into the supermarket. Even after we were married, I didn't shop yeah. at the supermarket. we just go around and book everything up and pay it. You used to write your own book up sometimes. Joe and, and I, my sister-in-law, Jim my was, brother Adam Gordon's wife, we'd go around there and if Jim was busy or Val was busy serving, we just used to get all our stuff, put it on the counter, write it in our books, pack it up and go home. <laughs> they just... Or if they were really busy, we'd start serving people and helping them out, you know, at times. So <laughs> the, very trusting and the, very... <laughs> the kids would be messing around, re-slying on the floor one time, taking the screws out of the grill in front of the, the freezer fan, you know. Oh, or the, or the, the petrol pumps. And yeah. even pulled the petrol no, pump off. No, he didn't. Reese pulled it oh, out. Oh, Reese pulled that off. <laughs> and petrol poured petrol all over Devon, yeah. It was like a hub. So we yep. got our petrol there, everything. It was and paid I mean, it on payday. Yeah, paid mm. it on payday. And it was like a community hub, the shop. You know, people used to go there and meet and talk and we never worried. Well, when they first got supermarkets, we never <laughs> worried about going into town. Well, I didn't drive for a while either. Well, I drove but never licensed for a while. Carter's Beach we wasn't as married. built up then, was it? Um, you know, no. all the central part. The central and, um, part of Carter's Beach, keep... across the road from us, there were no houses there at all in that middle part because the kids could go from there right across to Cook Street to, you know, Gordon and Joe's. We couldn't keep them at home anyway. No. De- Devon was a real wanderer. And when he was about three, he was going to the shop for a, oh, an urgent him... message or whatever. Yeah, just give him a note. He'd go on his chain bike round the shop and Val would give him the messages as we come. <laughs> We'd be head up today. <laughs> But yeah, yeah the shop. A little way from your house, the shop. Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. Yeah. and you've got across the main road. Across yeah. the main road. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he used to sit on the grass at the side of the road. The the cement works truck drivers got a bit nervous about it. Ring us of up. We had a little dog, a little corgi, and and she used to go a little way ahead of him, and she'd stop till he caught up, and then she'd go a little bit further, and she'd sit on the side of the road, and he'd sit beside her until there were absolutely no cars in sight. She would cross the road, and Devon would go <laughs> to that was the main road taken care of. But they got a bit more adventurous later on. Him and Glenn decided that if we parked our bikes on the white lines, the cars aren't, aren't allowed to drive on the white lines. We're OK. <laughs> and so they tried that one out. The cement works um, rang up <laughs> and asked us to keep the kids off the street. I don't think we were very good mothers at times. But, yeah, the shop was a really big part, a big part of Carter's Beach. Yeah. Very different today, very different. 
Well, while you're talking about the shop, I might as well dob in three kids from Carter's Beach. One was my son, Quinton, Charles Brunning, <laughs> Brent McClellan, five years old, getting off the bus, going to the shop, wanted to distract the Quinny. One would go in, pretend to buy something. They had no money. And the other one would start pinching. Now, they oh, had yeah. enough for Bead Skinner who was next, yeah. door, yeah. next door, they had to get enough for Rebecca, my daughter. They had to get enough for that Joel Brunning's. So nobody would tell. Yes. Yeah, so mm. But when, they, when we actually caught them, I, I stressed them, but I terrified them. I told them the police were going to come and lock them up. But jumping forward many, many years, Brent McCollum sent me a text from Australia. He was getting married, and he wanted me to go to his wedding. So I wrote an extended letter that I couldn't associate with criminals and I sent it to his wife to be. But I didn't put down what he'd stolen or what he'd done. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know what she took out of it, but I says, look, I got time to put it together pretty good. And I basically says that she should have second thoughts. This joke is she's gonna marry as a criminal. Even though he's only five. Oh dear. <laughs> Well, oh dear. I it didn't have two serious repercussions. <laughs> and to Charleston on the old beach route, but it, it details a lot of the waypoints. Well, if you have a mind to go with your wagon and four bound for the Charleston fields, I'll tell you now because I learned it hard as first on the old beach run. See your leaves self split on a fallen tide, run the sand where it's wet and hard. Turn aside the beach up from Carwell Point and pull into Gibson's there. You must water him, cause the cape is steep, but don't be touching his ale. There's crossing the cape whilst tide is high and a coast on down to bay. At halfway house you can stake my name, it's as good for a half-price meal. They'll feed your team, put you off and away across the neck of Ferris's Point. Mind the soft sand there just at Penguin Bay. Keep an eye on the natives and sharp mind. Now the nine miles fine from half-tide down make Totra Ford just about low. Don't cross till you've seen from ferryman as he's sure to wave you through. Now don't go bolting through shift and sand till he's given the route or else. There's many as tried, some lived, some died, but it's tough when you're stuck and tied. You'll deserve a drink up at Racecourse Pub and a spell afore Parsons Hill. Down cross Little Beach onto Nilebridge Toll where you're near as good as done. Just a pinch on up to those lantern lights and you're there in Trowley's Town. <laughs>